Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And if you're watching the YouTube version, you can already see them. They're joining me from Read Reaction. Will Miles and Nick Newton right here on Gators Breakdown. Taking a look at their preview magazine, hot off the presses. It is in your, uh, it is on the way, hopefully in your mailbox by now. I know Will uh, took it, took himself to the post office and, and sent out their early orders there. But uh, also there's a, a PDF version, electronic version as well. But I'll let uh, Will and Nick kind of control at least the first half of this episode, give those guys the credit they deserve for this awesome preview uh, that they've put out there uh, for, for Gator Nation. About 70 pages worth of pure Florida Gator football preview coverage coming up right here from the guys at Read and Reaction. So, Will, Nick, man, uh, or men, good job with this thing. I was, uh, last couple of days, uh, been perusing uh, through the magazine, and I know we got to, we, we won't give the whole thing away here on this episode of Gators Breakdown because I want you guys to get the, uh, the full credit you deserve here with all the hard work put into this. But uh, um, we know about this time of year, it is called Football Preview Magazine. Uh, and I know you guys launched it last year with a heavy Gator focus preview and it continues for the second year. Yeah, man, it was a challenge. We, we decided a lot of people last year wanted a hard copy. So we went ahead and found people to print it. And Nick just worked his butt off to make sure everything was set correctly from a, from a typeset perspective. There are still typos in there. We tried our best, but I'm sure people will find one or two. Um, and then the biggest adventure for me has been at the post office, trying to get this thing shipped out. So first batch went out today. The next batch is going to go out tomorrow. And if you've ordered it in the last couple of days, the, light, the latest it'll go out is on Friday. So you'll have it um, hopefully by the end of the weekend. And, and We'll actually prove, prove, prove there it, is a physical it, copy. It is a hard copy version. The magazine <laughs> exists. I've got a ton of them sitting upstairs. Um, you know, but we're, we're really proud of it. We're really proud of it. We, we set out to put together something that was, that was hard copy that could be in people's hands. We went through all sorts of iterations trying to figure out, like, you know, can we go through a distributor? Can we get into Publix? And we had some, we had some listeners reach out to us and help us with that process as well. Uh, we just decided to distribute it ourselves this year for various reasons. But the hope is, is that, um, you know, we sell enough this year, then that's proof of concept to go next year and do that where all of a sudden you'll start seeing the Read and Reaction magazine in Publix and Winn-Dixie and, and Walmart and all that stuff down there near Gainesville. And, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been surprised. We've, I've had people from Europe ask me to send them a copy. There's one going to Hawaii. So Gator Nation's everywhere. And it's been kind of cool to see. 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah, great good. great to see that, uh, the physical copy there printed. Uh, Will does have, I know you're talking about a little trouble at the post office, but you do, do have a bunch of them out in the mail, correct, Will? You got yeah, a bunch there's, a, there's a bunch there. out, yep. Yeah, so if, if you got that pre-order in, good chance that, that your magazine is on the way or at least close to being on the way there. Uh, but, hey, we're, we are fired up. We've done great with the pre-sales. There's not a lot of copies left, and there's no guarantee that we're doing the next batch. So if you really want a physical copy, I would highly suggest getting your order in within the next few days on that because there's no guarantee that we're doing a second run in the magazine. We did everything from start to finish outside of actually printing the magazine. So Will, Will's even uh, up there. He's got his kids working hard uh packing the magazines too so he's got support we got support from the my the whole miles family up there too on that uh but you know we're really proud of this because dave uh, we i i learned in design the last few months here we've been uh we this is something we we this is an endeavor we learned from scratch a little bit here and uh we've been working real hard on it and we're really excited about the product and and i think the the cover came out great, and I think the the, uh, the magazine is a different approach. It's a different approach to your standard. I, I don't think it, you're going to think it's similar to what you find in like an Athlon or like a Phil Steele. I think we go into it, uh, like I said, it's heavy. On, it, it feels like reading a uh, read and reaction article, right? It's 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 definitely got our flavor on it, and uh, heavy heavy focus on the Gators to get you ready for the 2023 season. Yeah, readandreaction.com slash mag is where you can get the read and reaction. 2023 Florida Gators football preview. And let's see. Let me make sure uh, I, don't, I don't screw us up here. I've been having computer issues here. But uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm going to get some. There. A, a top, there. There's like the topics are just asinine. Or just everything you guys fit in this uh, magazine here. Going, in, I'll, I'll take you guys through the topics. We will get into a few of them here, as I said. Uh, what really piqued my interest. It was funny because I asked those guys to kind of pick out some things they wanted to discuss, and it was everything that I wanted to discuss as well. So uh, it was a, we'll have a nice little preview of the article uh, with some uh, neat, neat topics uh, that uh, these guys included in here. But uh, 2022 season review, uh, yes, unfortunately, that does have to be done. Uh, when you when you look at these 2023 Gators and then uh, why the defense was so bad and what something we'll go into a little bit play diagrams that Will does a really good job with a uh, neat little thing uh, that, that he put together uh, plays to watch for on offense uh, how the SEC was won championship history with Spurrier and Meyer uh, of course going through all the positions the recruiting class uh, Nick has a really neat feature of uh, laying out the map of all the recruiting uh, targets or signees of sec teams of of course the gators uh, so you can get a really good look at uh, where the recruits are coming from uh for the gators and now you can get their predictions as well we won't get into their predictions here uh i'll let y'all save that uh for the magazine so you can guys uh, so you can berate those guys uh for for, for their picks here so. <laughs> uh, but uh let's get into it and everybody hit that like button hit that subscribe button uh before uh, we get a deep dive of the preview here. And, well, I, I, let me just start with the play diagrams. Um, that was something that you put a lot of work into and this neat little feature where, hey, you even get some credit to some YouTube people out there of where you uh, found these plays because, of course, um, you know, uh, there's a QR code uh, that you put on there that will help people uh, kind of follow along here. Uh, and um, it, it just kind of... You, you, you'll show the video and you get the, the, the play diagram. So let me, you know, fast forward into the magazine just a bit and give a, uh, there we go. Yeah. Found it and play diagram. So 
have a little legend there, of course, uh, to show people uh, what they're looking at here. But there's an example right there. If you're watching the YouTube version, Will, there's a YouTube link uh, to, the, to the video with a QR code. Uh, quarter, down in distance, a summary of the play, and your analysis of the play. So, Will, I, I think sh you showed two things in this for the Florida offense that we often wonder about. Uh, the use of motion and the use of tight ends, which we'll get into a little bit too, because Nick did a really good job uh, with the tight end position uh, here in this magazine. But Will, it was something you pointed out in these play diagrams and something we, we, we wonder about this Florida Gator offense of the use of motion and the use of tight ends moving forward in Billy Napier's offense. Uh, and to extend that, you say, quote, Napier's offense often has the answer for whatever the defense throws at it. And something I agree with you on is, Quote, you know, it's hard for me to buy the argument that Napier being the OC puts Florida at any strategic disadvantage. Now, look, I know that there may be a time when Napier hires an offensive coordinator and that could be next season for, for all we know. Uh, but as I said before, I, I, you know, I take the benefit of that. Uh, the, the benefit of an OC, whether he hires one or not, is it would let, allow him to concentrate on other aspects of being a head coach and kind of be in that CEO role. But, you know, in these plays that you diagram here, you know, we're not, you're not jumping off of any bandwagon of uh, Billy Napier uh, not being able to call plays in the SEC. Now, in fact, if you've been listening to me over the last month or so, you've probably been wondering why I'm so enthusiastic about the team. It's because I've been doing these sorts of diagrams, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We'll have some of the defensive ones come out as like an extra package for people um, once once the magazines get delivered. But the whole point of this section was to sort of walk through the Tennessee game specifically and to say, what did we see during that game that suggests that this offense is going to be effective next year or with Graham Mertz or, or with DJ Lagway? or Austin Simmons or whoever comes in to play quarterback, why will it be successful? And there were a couple of things that you noticed. One is that there was almost always, especially on third down, an answer for a zone coverage or a man coverage, that the concepts that were being run, if the quarterback read things correctly, there was always going to be somebody open. And then the second thing that you saw is Anthony Richardson, for all of his physical gifts, Missed, missed some big shots in that Tennessee game, which is hilarious because he threw for like 420 yards or something in the game, but he missed some of those. And so the whole concept here is just to walk people through that game. And I really like, um, you know, the, I had seen these diagrams before um, from, a, from a different website, but the QR code is really nice to me because you can, you, can, um, you can use your phone to go to the play directly. So you've got the, the down distance, the actual diagram, my description of the play, and then you can watch it. It takes you right to the timestamp within YouTube so you can watch the play as well. And so to me, it, it hopefully is going to teach people what happened, but also make them more confident that when they see something, you know, when you throw right into the teeth of the defense, and people hear me talk about completion percentage all the time. The reason I do is if you run crossing routes against man coverage, you should have a guy open. And so if you catch a guy on a crossing route and he's wide open, you know the quarterback made the right read. If he's covered and it was against the zone, well, okay, you don't typically want to throw crossing routes against the zone. There should be something else going on. And so the concepts within the offense make me really comfortable that the, that the offense is sound. Now the question is, can Napier get the players in there to execute that offense to a high level? But, you know, look, the offense wasn't the problem last year, and I think, or at least wasn't the main problem. When you look at the offensive philosophy, I think you can see why. So I think a lot of us have questions about Graham Mertz, myself included, but the foundation of what this offense can be is there, and I think that should make us encouraged moving forward. Will, so let's transition to Nick right quick. I want you to continue maybe one little aspect of using motion and using tight end. Will, what did you notice about the motion, the tight end usage uh, in this offense, and maybe what we see moving forward? 
Yeah. So with the tight end usage, I went through, and I'll tell you, it's just not a big factor in terms of the passing game in Billy Na- in Billy Napier's approach overall. And I know we've had a lot of talk. Hey, I'm as I'm as excited as anyone to see if Arliss Boardingham can break out. Right? There's certainly some good prospects at that tight end position, and just because something has been one way doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. But if you get enough of a track record over enough period of time, you know, I went through and looked at every single year of Napier calling an offense back to 2017 of Arizona state. And uh, I believe off the top of my head, I think it's uh, the, the leader in catches was uh, there's 22 receptions one year, I believe uh, for the tight end position. So I, I know we're, uh, we talked about this the last time I was on Dave, where I said, if you, if you took, if I gave you 25 receptions out of the tight end, right. And like four or five times, you, you take that in two seconds, right? Like, so this proves that, that going through and looking at Napier's offense it's just not a position that's uh, featured in the passing game to a tremendous degree. And I, I, I got a breakdown of everything. But the other thing I went through, I said, well, okay, we got a guy, Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. What's Wisconsin known for? They're known for the big dudes. They're known for the run game. They're known for the tight ends and fullbacks right up there at Wisconsin, the running backs. And I went through and looked at Mertz's production. Like, okay, this guy likes to throw to the tight end a bit his first couple of years. Well, it turns out his tight end, Fourth round draft pick, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, pretty good, pretty good player, pretty good player. They let Dalton Schultz, for those uh, NFL fans out there, they, they let Schultz walk to Houston because uh, they like this guy so much here in Dallas. And and last year, there's just a big drop off with the tight end production in Wisconsin. So there's, it, it, it'll go into details in the article there for you. But long story short, I, I I want to be optimistic about that that position. I want to be optimistic about a change on it, but. If you go back and look at the data, there's just not a lot of data to support that we're going to see a tremendous difference out of that tight end position here in 2023. Yeah, we, yeah I think, you know, going into that, uh, as we mentioned, we, we, we all discussed Arliss Boardingham before when we all got together before uh, spring practice. And, you know, let you guys know what I was hearing. And it was pretty much what we were hearing all throughout spring practice as well of, of him being a, a weapon there at, at the tight end position. But, Look, I mean, go back to last year's spring game. We, uh, the last year's spring game was dominated by the tight end position, and we didn't see it in the season. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, just because we hear it in springtime or maybe even see it in springtime does not necessarily mean we're going to see it come fall. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what the tight end position holds. But Arliss Boardingham being, uh, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, Billy Napier has been a head coach long enough uh, at the his time at Louisiana, one year at Florida now, where there is a track record, as you said, Nick, and there's not a lot to point to at the tight end position. But I think if we look at maybe what Arliss Boardingham can be and then even look at the tight ends that he's recruiting for this coming up cycle, maybe there is going to be a shift there uh, of how Billy Napier uses tight ends. But, Will, that was kind of something you were talking about in some of your play diagrams, uh, the use of tight ends and the use of motion. Like, do you, do you think that changes, I guess, in, in this 23 season with, with Arliss Boardingham and maybe even peeking ahead and looking at the type of tight ends that you see him targeting in this class of 2024? I mean, I think it's going to change from the standpoint of you got to put your players who are most gifted in a in a position to succeed, and that there's a there's a job for the tight end on every play, and that doesn't mean the quarterback's necessarily going to find him, and and the quarterback finding him is dictated by did he win the battle and what is the defense willing to give up. Now, I think the quick game is a place where Graham Mertz tends to be better than Anthony Richardson was. I think Richardson's a better overall quarterback, but I think Mertz is better at that quick game. Well, what happens when you start playing in that quick game? Well, the quick game, all of a sudden you rely on tight ends. The other thing is, is, and you sort of alluded to it, is that orbit motion that everybody seems to hate 
when you really look at the film, open stuff up. Like mm-hmm. it makes the defense move. And it, it really what it does is it makes the defense in many ways announce what coverage they're playing. And so the orbit motion, I know people get upset about it. I know they don't like those screens out to the sideline that don't go somewhere sometimes, but there's a purpose to it. It is making the defense easily, easy to read for the quarterback. And so in some ways it becomes a quarterback friendly offense because of that, where the defense has basically had to declare man or zone right off the bat. Now, look, there are some tricky defenses that'll figure out a way to not declare, even though, you know, as they get used to seeing that motion and they know it's going to come and that sort of stuff, but there's a purpose to it. And I think, and let's be um, fair before, before you go, uh, uh, I think a lot of people had issues with who was running in that orbit motion most of the time. So maybe this year with Xavier Henderson on the way out, uh, transferring to Cincinnati, maybe with some different receivers uh, that you throw into the mix, maybe you get a little, uh, a little more out of it. Sure. I mean, I think I think that might be the case. I think the 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 big thing is just going to be where are your playmakers, right? I mean, if yeah. Mizell ends up being one of their big playmakers and they have him on the outside, well, that orbit motion is going to be designed to open up Mizell, and there's going to be specific shots that are called depending upon what the defense decides to do, right? If you put the guy in motion, they declare man to man. You want to go outside whenever you can, if Mizell is your biggest playmaker, right? If it turns out that Mizell struggles and really can't get separation and things like that, okay, well now you got to go come to something else. And maybe your best athlete is, is uh, Arliss Boardingham coming across the field on a drag route, right? And they declare man. And all of a sudden you've got a drag route coming across the middle and it's an, it's an easy dump off the Boardingham and then he can run after the catch. So a lot of what you do and a lot of what you design and a lot of what you tell your quarterback, I mean, there are progressions, but let's be honest, you've got any, any offensive coordinator you ever talk to talks about getting the ball to his playmakers. And what that means is he's got a specific set of play calls where the first or second read is that guy he wants to get the ball to and if he gets if the quarterback gets the look that he wants that's where he's going so I think that's probably what you'll see is you'll see that there will be specific play calls to get the ball to those guys and you know look sometimes you got numbers advantages there were times Florida had numbers advantages on the outside and those screens should have worked and the problem wasn't who was catching it the problem was who was blocking it and so you know if, if you have a numbers advantage on the outside it's just like if you have a numbers advantage in the hole with like ETN right I mean he's still got a break there's always a safety coming up. He's going to have to beat that safety in order to turn it into a huge play. And the same thing exists on the outside. You got to get the blocks, and then the and then the wide receiver has to make that one guy miss, and then that's when you get the big play. So that'll be the question for Florida: is when they do throw that screen out to the outside, do they have the guy who can make the one guy miss? Whether that's Andy Jean, whether that's Aiden Mizell, or whether that's somebody else, right? Whether whether that's whether yeah, that's deve- Coleman develop- or whether somebody develop- else, right? Development from the guys that were on the on the roster last year. You know, maybe we see more from a Marcus Burke, Caleb. Douglas uh, in that role, as well as the true freshman uh, coming in there. So one more topic from the magazine from each of you uh, before we move on to other Gator Nation news uh, in this. Uh, we'll stay with the team here. And, Will, this was a part that you wrote, and then we'll get into Nick's wonderful map usage uh, in, the, in, the, in the magazine. So, uh, Will, the key up front, and I'm going to agree with you, Princely Human Mielin, uh, and I think to extend that, Cameron Jackson. I think this defense is going to be defined by those two guys. Uh, and I know there's a linebacker core, and I know there's a, a defensive back uh, group there too, but I think we all know it starts up front uh, on, on defense. And Princely Human Mielin, uh, his move to more of an edge player, I think really intrigues me and his kind of 
uh, changing his body a little bit to, to, to suit that role, but also Cameron Jackson coming in to transfer from Memphis, who I, I'm expecting just huge things from. Uh, I do think those two are going to be so instrumental in how this defense performs, whether success or failure uh, for this Gator defense. And, Will, I probably won't disagree with you because there is a lot to prove with this group. I think we all like their potential. You gave them a rating of a C. Do you see that as more of a – coming into this season and needing to prove it? Or do you think it ends that way, I guess, as far as how your preview goes? I mean, I think from a preview perspective, it's it's what can I grade them on given what we've already seen? And okay. given the sacks for last year and given yeah. the pressure that they got and the havoc that they got last year, I'm not ready to give them an A or a B. Certainly, there's a lot of transfers coming in, but you're also losing Javon Dexter, right? And so um, how are they going to be able to replace him? Now, Dexter played pretty well in the first half last year and then sort of tailed off in the second half because they didn't have any depth. And so that's the other question and the other reason why I didn't necessarily have them at a B or certainly an A is they've got more depth if these guys step up, right? If yeah. If Chris McClellan ends up being a starter because the transfers like Caleb Banks don't end up playing major minutes, well, he's got the same depth problem that you had last year, right? If a bunch of those guys step up and some of the true freshmen come in and play and all of a sudden you've got five, six guys deep that you can roll out there in a big-time game at 3.30 in Gainesville in, in October when it's hot – now, all of a sudden, the defense can maybe overperform. But the, the reality is I went through it with some statistics and some other stuff, just looking at the defensive line play over the last few years. And you could sort of go all the way back to 2019 was the last time that Florida's defense got a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and they were good. So if you if you did, if you you did liked Todd, Todd Grantham's defenses, and most people didn't, but if you liked Todd <laughs> Grantham's defenses, they were very much boom or bust. It was either get pressure or when you didn't get pressure, things broke down. If you look at Georgia's, defenses over the last few years and I took a look at that what you see is a team that's extraordinarily stout up front and really isn't creating a whole bunch of havoc in the backfield right. but what they did was it was always second and nine third and eleven like they weren't giving up anything on the ground and so if Florida's able to step up and really so they were bad against the run and the pass last year I think they can actually be <laughs> bad against the pass and just be good against the run and all of a sudden you're gonna see a giant jump in the defensive performance normally defenses aren't this bad year to year. In fact, even 2021, I know people weren't happy with Grantham, but the defense wasn't nearly as bad as it was in 2020. It took a step forward. Then obviously takes a step back with Patrick Tony. I think there's an opportunity for it to take a step forward again this year under Austin Armstrong. Now, Armstrong is, again, historically, at least when he was at Southern Miss, is one of those boomer bust type guys. And so we do need to keep that in mind that there will probably be some big plays that are given up. But they're also going to get some big plays too. And Human Milan, I think, is going to be a big part of that. And if he can be a defensive end who puts up 10, 11, 12 sacks. Well, now all of a sudden, one, he's pretty much equaling the total that the team had last year if he does that. But the other thing is is that now all of a sudden you got to double team him on that side. So now you don't have a guy like Dexter getting double and even triple teamed in the middle. Now you start getting that pressure up the middle, and that's where the interceptions come from. It's funny. I, you know, it's hard for me to remember a guy throwing an interception when he was getting pressured from behind. Usually the guy th throws the interception when the guy comes up the middle is in his face and he right. kind of has to float it over him. And that's where you get the pick. So the big play sacks from the outside puts him in a bad position. But what it really does is it forces you to double team. It forces you to chip. It forces you to keep the tight end in. And now all of a sudden, guys like Cameron Jack Jackson and Chris McClellan can go right up the middle, and that's where you're going to get the turnovers. And if they, if, if you and Melan can do that, then I think you'll see a lot more turnovers and a lot more sacks this year. That's, that's I, good. I love that. I, I love this 
conversation about the defensive line group because it is a perfect example of what this team is heading into 2023. Part of what we do, we're doing, you know, the deep dive looking into this 2023 group. We we did a lot of comparing to where we stand compared to Georgia in different sections, right? And they're the standard right now in college football, unfortunately so, right? So we're looking at different different angles where uh, this de- defensive line group, for example, they need to get to a certain level that we haven't achieved yet, but we, there's certainly some pieces there that, that could get to that level, right? They could yeah. get to that level. They could develop. And what is this group going to do to start building for next year too? Like who's going to step up and who's going to be that player? Cameron Jackson's perfect example coming over from Memphis. Love his tape at Memphis. That, that guy, for, he shouldn't be athletic, as athletic for his size. It's unbelievable the way that guy moves. So it's certainly – I know there's like some element of pessimism heading into the 2023 season uh, among the fan base. You just had Andy Staples on for a great interview talking about what's wrong with the Florida program, right? But I think people who are paying attention closely are like, "There's this roster is turned over big time. There's a lot of new faces coming in. And I'm really excited to see the development going forward. You have to accept where we are. You have to acknowledge where we are compared to where we want to be. But there's a great chance for this program to look a lot different a year from now. And it's a lot of young guys, like, it's thanks to a lot of young players like Will's talking about. Yeah, speaking of that, this was something I went through in my head. Uh, I, and I, I'm pretty sure it was as I was taking a look at your guys' magazine and this, and, and this came in my head. Go position by position and say who the best player of that position is. And they are a transfer. They're, they are a Billy Napier player. Pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to say quarterback, okay, well, you got to go Graham Mertz more than likely. All right, so that's a transfer Billy Napier brought in. Now, whether whether you think about him overall is different, but as far as looking at this team and how the roster is constructed, the best player at positions are mostly now, you know, Billy Napier chosen players, whether it be transfer portal or whether it be guys he recruited at some point so far in just the year and a half that he's been here. So quarterback is Graham Mertz. The running backs, of course, are both Billy Napier guys, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Offensive line, all right, you got to go Austin Barber. So that's a mullen, that's a mullen leftover. But you go to last year, so Cyrus Torrance, of course. Defensive line, it may be Cameron Jackson. But Princely, I think you throw him in there as well. So that's a, a mullen holdover. Uh, linebacker, there's definitely – is Jamar. probably going to be a right a Napier guy. You go to the secondary, all right, Jason Marshall goes. At least cornerbacks, you go there. Safety, uh, you, you, may, you may end up going uh, a Napier guy there. So when you look at this roster, and Nick, you just talked about you know, the, 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 the construction and just the, the, the young players. I mean, most of them are either transfers or guys Billy Napier recruited as the best players at their position. Right. Well, I mean, pretty much the, the – I think the – all the scholarship players, like 70% of them um, who aren't transfers are either freshmen, sophomores, redshirt freshmen, or redshirt sophomores. They all have three years of eligibility yeah. or more left. Yeah. It's like 70% of the guys who were not transfers who came in. They filled in the upperclassmen positions a little bit by, through the transfer portal. But the reality is you look at the guys that they brought in from high school and they they are going to be aggressively taking positions this year. And I mean, honestly, that's one of my big concerns when you think about safety, where you've got Kamari Wilson, Miguel Mitchell, there coming at safety, obviously got the transfer recently. Um, yeah, they, from, I mean, they, from Michigan, right, but they had to get him, honestly. 
Well, I mean, not just because you don't have experience, but because what happens if you get an injury? That, that and all well, of a sudden yeah. you got yeah. all of a sudden you got a true freshman in there playing who's never played an SEC game, and he's out there against Tennessee or something to start to to start his career. So, um, you know, they, they filled in some of those gaps in the transfer portal. I think you know it's interesting. I think Mazuka, you could make an argument, might yeah, end up being right. the best offensive lineman Good. by the end of the right. year. So, okay. I, I, yeah, I agree with you, Dave. There, there is. Um, there's a heavy Napier bent to this, which means that he's going to get an awful lot of uh, an awful right. lot of praise if they win, <laughs> yeah. and he's going to get an awful lot of criticism <laughs> if they don't. And and uh, but by uh, all means, criticize away if if we don't have a great year this year, right? Like you could pick apart different aspects of and you know, be specific with what you're criticizing and everything. But the conversation, the tenor of some of the conversation, and, and I'm finding it's mostly coming from the national level about mm-hmm. oh boy. Year two is Billy Napier in trouble if he doesn't have a big year down there, and it's not. If I think, I think a lot of Gator fans do have bigger perspective of what's going on, and I think the reality of last season that smacked us in the face harder than we wanted it to was uh, this is going to be a bigger job than we thought, and and I I think you have to look at the fact that we're still in a position where we're rolling out. You guys, how many positions did you just name that are completely uncertain right now? And so this is like this is if you look at the history of the football program and you stretch it out over time, certain moments take on certain meanings when you have the accomplishment, right? So you know, 1996 had that special, special feel, especially after walking off that field in the Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska. How much more special was that? You know, losing to Florida State the last game of the season in '96, and then you turn around the Sugar Bowl and get that win, get the national title. Those moments take on different meanings at that at that time. So we might be in for some tougher times overall this year. It might not be pretty at every moment. You know, hopefully we're beating Vanderbilt, man. <laughs> hopefully we're beating Vanderbilt. But <laughs> like hope hopefully we get that done, especially at home. But I have that as a win in the magazine. Too. Yeah, I think, I think I, even <laughs> I went win. Alert. <laughs> even I went win on that one. But I <laughs> but it is something to watch where it, this is going to write the chapter. You got a lot of talent coming in. You got a lot of talent coming in. We see the movement on this roster. And and quite frankly, I think Napier's done a heck of a job. This, if this were pre-transfer portal era, this is a five-year rebuild that's yeah. occurring within the span of two to three years. It, it is going warp speed right now. And I know it doesn't feel like it because we're in the moment at all times, but I'm I've been real impressed with with how things are moving. So all right, we, we need to tell Nick to tap the brakes a little bit, a little bit. Like hey, I, you, you there, there, I, I, I got him at six and six on, on the on the preview magazine there. Well, you like I, I am, but I'm, I'm actually trying to more find bullish than you are. I'm actually I know more that's what I'm saying. I, that. I'm realistic. I'm just trying to create a level of realism <laughs> here to accept where we are, and expect, it makes it so much worse that Georgia's doing what they're doing. You know, and that's how we acknowledge that in the magazine. Last year, we referred to Georgia. We were writing the magazine, and we're, we were writing. I was going to write defending national champion. I'm like, why do we have to acknowledge their national championship? Well, do we have to do that? <laughs> so we called them the SEC runner-ups the whole time in the magazine. But you know, now it's time. Last year was the reality check a little bit. We got to accept where we are, and yeah. and, and, and the fight starts to get back to where we got to go. All right, Nick. Well, talking about that fight, let's go to recruiting because that's where that's where it's going to change. And you did a really good job of outlining uh, the SEC recruiting maps and where the recruits are coming from for all the SEC schools. And of course, uh, you start uh, with the Gators here. So let me pull that up just for a little preview here. But yeah, nice little graphic um, to, to kind of just lay it out here. And you know where the location of the high school commits are coming from, the transfers. Uh, college location as well when there's a state breakdown of where the players are coming from uh i mean 
really good job. You know, distance from Gainesville, all that stuff. You know, what? Why did you think it was important to kind of maybe show, um, you know, the the location and how it is translating to you know where Florida, where Georgia, where Alabama, and where all these SEC schools are in terms of recruiting? There's just been so much conversation in the last few years about us catching the elite schools and recruiting and how leaky the state of Florida is to losing the schools like Clemson coming down here over the last few years and building a dynasty, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state comes in and picks off guys here and there. So, and you're, and you're still seeing some of that. You're still seeing that. I don't think that's totally shifted yet, but I also wanted to see like how focused is Napier on building the class within the state as well. And if you can see from the 2023 class there, Dave, what, what do we get? Like 70% of our class, even though it was a smaller class, it was heavily yeah. concentrated within Florida, but we make this a big thing. And you think about Georgia and Alabama, just, Oh, this guy can just go anywhere. You know, Alabama last year, poor, poor old Iowa. I mentioned this in the magazine. They had that five-star <laughs> offensive tackle committed from in-state the entire cycle. And the day before signing day, you know, the check from Alabama comes in and uh, that, guy's a, that guy's going to Tuscaloosa. So they, they kind of can pick and choose their spots on that. And, and you see that's what we seem to be doing that in some instances. You talk about Kel- Kelby Collins would be a great example of that. That's a great win going into Alabama and you're beating him out for – for uh, you know, over Alabama and Georgia there, but I was really curious from the Florida perspective. But I was also curious, like, well, what's Georgia doing? What's Alabama doing? How much is Tennessee getting down here? And what I really found was that Georgia is really like you think about them as a national operation. They certainly are. If you see the the blue dots, by the way, are if the high school commits. And I threw in the orange for the transfers because I thought it was a good visual just to see one how many transfer portal players they're really getting like you look at that three three spots but are they concentrated are are they concentrated in a certain area like does do the does the coaching staff have connections in certain areas like you would expect florida have to have some prospects from louisiana texas because those are the areas they recruited under napier right the staff's heavily tied in those areas you would expect that and it really was heavy florida connection they they developed that connection for georgia here not only are they picking the creme de la creme in Georgia. They're coming down here and they're taking, they're taking our best too. (laughs) Not nine players out of the state of Florida. So, and you look at Alabama, it's, it's, it's a little less dramatic, but it has been like this in different cycles for Alabama as well. So, you know, essentially you want to look at, uh, I'll I'll let you go into the details when when you get the magazine, but in general, protect the state borders and, yeah. and and you'll solve the problem. If you're Billy Napier, it's not about beating Georgia out for a five-star kid in California. It's about taking care of your own state. Yeah. It was a really good look there. Uh, you know, uh, program by program in the sec, of, yeah. you know, where the, where the, uh, where, where the athletes were coming from. I know oh. Will, Will was excited about this. Every time Will and I had a, uh, uh, episode, you know, after we would uh, after we would sign off on that episode, we, he'd kind of give me an update on the uh, how the magazine was coming. And Nick, I'm going to tell you, he, he was giving you a lot of credit on this part. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, if you look at this here too, like Auburn, like let's scroll up there to Auburn, there, Dave. Yep. So look how many transfer portals you're dealing with. Right. Well, yeah. Right. So and that's it. Just gives you an idea how that, cl- and, that class and, and, and there should be even more on this because you know you guys had to stop at some point and yes. get a print. And they put even more transfers as yes. far as Auburn goes. But I I found it fascinating. If you go to two in-state programs, I think it's the last two on the list there, Dave. Uh, Old Miss and Mississippi State too. And that's why I put the other. I know everybody might not have an interest in diving deep into every single SEC program, but look at Old Miss, right? The hashtag transfer to the SIP. Lane Kiffin's all over yeah. the portal. 
versus you go to Mississippi State. Zach Arnett starting that first season there, taking over for Leach. Heavy, heavy in-state. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher. They had that number one class where they went out of state and they went everywhere and they, yeah. they went all over the country. Guess where they were this year? They were back home. They were taking care of their backyard this year. And that's that's probably going to be – that's probably the play more often than not. Another piece – another article, a separate article I wrote that was in line because I remember Will – I actually got the idea from like listening to Will talk about us not, not doing great within the top 20 of the state of Florida last year. Comparing that to so, something like LSU and Georgia and Louisiana, so there's some different states in the southeast, how good are people at keeping their top 20 players at home over the course of the last five cycles? And you could see there – the state of Florida, Georgia and Alabama coming in, taking 37% of the players over the last five cycles in the top 20. And if you compare that to Florida, Florida State, Miami combined, Florida, Florida State, Miami have only signed 32% of the of those top 20 players over the last five cycles. So you got you wonder why Georgia and Alabama are at the top of the sport. Uh, there's your answer right there. They're, they're coming into our state and they're taking who they want when they want to. Yeah, I got them uh... – Hopefully you guys can still hear me. Uh, my camera, for whatever reason, has uh, decided to, to to go away. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean, so there you go. There's pretty good preview right there, guys. Those were the um, topics that we decided to kind of give you guys a, a preview of right here on Gators Breakdown. You can do. You can once again check out get the magazine readandreaction.com/slash/mag and. I mean, you guys got a preview. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube version, of course, you, you can see it visually. You get your preview there, but even more insight uh, from Will and Nick. And uh, anything, any final parts of the the, the magazine, guys, you, you want to hit uh, before we move on to some other subjects? No, I think the only thing I'd want to say is, so we do have hard copies available. We've also got digital copies available. So if you just prefer a PDF that you can read on your on your iPad or something like that, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Saves you the shipping, the cost of shipping if you buy it that way. And you can have it right now <laughs> if you want it. Um, but uh, hard copy, if you order it now, it'll be out by the end of this week in the mail. So you should get it early next week and, and be able to take a look. We appreciate everybody supporting us. And, uh, you know, it's been fun. There, there's, a, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. I think we hit a few of the things, but, uh, you know, that's by no means everything and so hopefully hopefully there's something in there for everybody so the side is we want people we want to help people be smarter fans we we i think last year we didn't put a lot on the cutting room floor and we just sort of put out a bunch of pages and a bunch of information Um, this year we curated a little bit more and uh you know it's a little bit tighter um but i think that also makes for a better read yeah and like will said i really grateful for the support from everybody out there uh it's it's really cool i I grew up reading these magazines like this so it's really cool to be able to put together something like this and have our own magazine that we're shipping out to everybody very excited all right visually i'm back on another camera my the the laptop camera saves me here Uh, (laughs) but it doesn't doesn't look as good doesn't look as good but uh at least at least i am back up and running here you still look better than us dave (laughs) i know yeah (laughs) it's it's the lights it's the lights uh but yeah, there we go. Readreaction.com or yeah, readreaction.com slash mag to get your read and reaction college or uh, Gators football preview 2023 edition from Will and Nick. So I guess uh, while we're paired together, I think uh, this is some good roundtable kind of discussion here to kind of maybe close this episode out with. But 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, first of all, let's put it up there. We got some kickoff. We got some kickoff times to to get into for the Gators. It was announced today uh, that the Utah game, the opener, we knew it was going to be on that Thursday night. Now, but now we got a time and a channel. We got uh, ESPN at eight o'clock, and I was wondering if Fox would pick this up because of uh, Utah being the Pac-12 and you know their relationship with Fox. Uh, but it is going to be an ESPN game that Thursday night, opening the season. Utah Gators, August 31st, of course, on the road, taking on the Utes. And then another string of night games, kind of like last year to start the season. Uh, Gators on ESPNU, 7.30 against McNeese. But then hosting Tennessee, 7 p.m. night game in the swamp. SEC opener for the Gators on ESPN. The Volunteers come to Gainesville uh, for a night game September 16th. And then on September 23rd, uh, uh, ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus is the Charlotte game. September 23rd at 7 p.m. So, guys, um, fans will get kind of mostly get their wish here with with the night games. I know driving back to Jacksonville, it's uh, so there's just some long days uh, going to tailgate and, and and then coming coming back home after those night games. But uh, you know, you you get the atmosphere uh, of a night game early on in the swamp uh, to start the season after the road trip to Utah. Yeah, man. I hope everybody took Friday off. That's September 1st. <laughs> take, take that day off. I already got my PTO in. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's like Christmas, man. For anybody who's a football fan, that first game, you know, I know, I know there were some people disappointed that game got moved back to Thursday, but it's going to be fun to have a three day weekend and starting off that three day weekend with a big time game against Utah, getting to do that analysis after the game, um, you know, should be a cool environment. And quite honestly, you know, Cam Rising, who knows what he's going to be in terms of his health, given what happened to him towards the end of the season last year. And so, you know, I, I think there are so Nick and I in the magazine did this feature where it was, you know, toss up, win or loss. And I, for the most part, I just couldn't decide any of them. I'm like, if things go the Gators way, a bunch of these things could turn into wins. And, and that Utah game, I think, is one of them because of a lot of the extenuating circumstances. So, so get your, get your PTO in for Friday so that you can, uh, so that you can stay up afterwards and watch all the post-game shows if Florida pulls out the win on that one. Man, yeah, that should, that imagine, be imagine if Florida goes 4-0 on this stretch. How excited are people going to be? It's 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 somewhat doable. It's going to be a tough opener there on the road at Utah there. But I, where are you guys on the Joe Milton hype train? Because I feel like it's uh, it's starting to pick up steam. I, I don't know if it's um, flashy clips on the internet, but I, I'm, I'm hearing like some crazy stuff. I, I like the offense. I like the system. But are we are we buying on the Joe Milton hype train here? Uh, he'll be better than what he showed uh, those couple of years ago when you know when he started the season and he got replaced. He'll be better than that. He's not going to be Hendon Hooker. 
Um, he was having a special season last year, but uh, he'll be better. He'll be better than what he was. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm there on the uh, Tennessee being. I think you would expect that offense was just so good. It's not even a knock yeah. on them to say that they're going to take. Well, they lost more than take a step back. But. Yeah, they lost more than Hooker too. I mean, you know, right. offensive line receivers as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they got some pieces to replace. Yeah, his completion other- percentage in his senior year of high school was 48. percent I'm thinking he's going to struggle to be as efficient as Hendon Hooker. That would be my that would be my official prediction. It was one of the things when you know Florida was was going after Milton pretty hard. Did he commit yeah. to Florida and then and then uh, and he committed? Yeah. yeah, I think he was committed at one point. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that was always one of the things that you sort of looked at and said. It's it's hard to only complete forty eight percent of your passes, and uh, you know that's a rough one. So I, I think accuracy is going to be the question. If they can fix that with scheme, then hey, he'll have a pretty good year. I think he'll be better than he has been at Michigan, and probably better than he has been in mop up duty at Tennessee. But I think to your point, like this is the thing. I think everybody was surprised at how good Hendon Hooker was last year. I wasn't. I watched him at Virginia Tech. He was really good when he was in Virginia Tech. He took a step forward last year but even if he had just mimicked what he did at Virginia Tech he would have been a very very good quarterback Milton hasn't shown that yet and so you know I, I think I'm with you on this Nick it's like he's gonna have to show it it's gonna be a road game at night and right. you know what and happens they usually he- win in the swamp don't they Tennessee <laughs> well I mean <laughs> no they- I, I, I'm not I, I think I, I think that's a sneaky tough like I think people are overlooking that on the national stage you coming into the swamp you catching them early. They're not playing anybody big the first two games. I think I, I'm. Yeah, I don't think, they're playing. Yeah. Two, I, I think I think they got cupcakes to open up the season. These two games are going to roll over. So this is going to be catching them early. Might might be nice. Might what be are we? Nineteen nice. of the last twenty-one against those guys. I think. Yeah, uh, right. You know, it, they're on a streak of one. This, this swamp, <laughs> the swamp's going to be on fire that night. I like that seven p.m. kickoff. I like that seven p.m. kickoff. Yeah. They needed every bit they of rock. They don't have a. They don't have a. Year. They don't have a cupcake game one. They got Virginia. Uh, but it is Austin P the week before Florida. Yeah, before tough. before it gets McNeese and uh, what maybe a day rest, an extra day because you played a Thursday night. But you are traveling from Utah, so how much rest are you are you really getting? Uh, if you won the game, you're not getting any rest. That, that's true too. But also, I mean, more than likely, you know, Tennessee's going to be two and zero rolling in. Who knows what Florida's going to be with that game? I mean, Florida could already be facing some desperation if you lose to Utah game one. You know, right. you don't, you don't want to go one and two, of course. Right, and that's why I, th- I think you're going to have uh, – it's going to be a hungry team, and you're coming off – that's where that – I love that Utah kickoff. I'm, I know that's a tough game for Florida, but you, you think they're going to have that big game atmosphere out of the way. This yeah. this team's going to be ready coming into the swamp against Tennessee. I like that under the lights. And, uh, and to, hey, Tennessee, they, they're not – they're not excited about coming down here this year. Oh, I'm not, not going to make the it. same mistake I did last year, which is I put like 50 bucks on Anthony Richardson to win the Heisman before the Utah game, and then I let it ride against Kentucky. You know, was that a mistake? <laughs> so maybe I'll put five bucks on Mertz to win the Heisman if he shows that <laughs> against Utah. I'm cashing that thing out right away, man. <laughs> there we go. Well, Dave, uh, we just talked about Joe Milton and Graham Mertz potentially winning the Heisman. <laughs> Get your great quarterback analysis here. <laughs> Uh, speaking of great quarterbacks, Florida's got their big one on campus this weekend. Official visits this weekend. DJ Lagway, of course, is going to headline that. The quarterback for the Gators committed. And Xavier Filsamy, of course, another commit for the Gators to go along with the Darius Hayes. Isaiah Williams has commit that, commits that are on the campus this week for official visits. Jeremiah Smith, big wide receiver target on campus this weekend as well. Uh, but, guys, it is heavy, 
heavily focused on the defensive line. Florida's still waiting for that first commit in that little in the, in that position group to come along in this class of 2024. But official visits start this weekend. David Stone, Dalen Evans, L.J. McCray, Jordan Ross, a five-star edge from Alabama, is now going to be this, here this weekend as well. He's reported to have heavy interest in the Gators. Uh, look, maybe that could be a Kelby Collins situation like last year. You get him on campus, and it just completely changes uh, the recruiting. Like you know, a year ago, heading into June, you might have heard of Kelby Collins' name, but the the chances of him becoming a Gator before he even visited were slim to none. Uh, and then – he visits and it completely changes the recruitment. Maybe that plays out here again uh, with one, uh, you know, Jordan Ross here. But Kendall Jackson, the Gainesville uh, local, will be on campus as well. Jaden Jackson, DeAndre Robinson. I mean, the Gators are bringing in a slew of defensive linemen. Uh, and look, they really, really, um, they, they got to get this group started uh, pretty soon and getting some commitments. But you got a lot of big names on campus this weekend. How, how did that Buholtz team, how did they lose in the state title? They had some. <laughs> Crazy players on that team last year at Buholtz coming in. That, that's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. The defensive line group certainly impressive there, Dave. That's a certainly impressive list. And at this point, is is there a recruit that's going to have more hype coming in to his first snap? I, I was in the swamp when Tebow took his first snap. Is there mm. more hype around Lagway mm-hmm. than there's been since Tebow? Do we, can you guys you know think what? of one? That, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it because look, Tebow did have a lot of hype, and I don't, I don't know if it'll match that, but you know, you still had Tebow coming off the hills of Chris Leak. Yeah, you, but Leak got have, booed in the swamp against Kentucky. Yeah, but then before he, left, you know, before he left, he did hoist the title. So you know, I, kinda, I know you know, all I, that stuff. I'm was saying Leak was established, but there was still that like pull for Tebow early on in that yeah, in, sure. in that 2006 season, and that's what I, I'm trying to remember a recruit that had this much excitement coming in especially it feels like he's already a gator even though he's not signed to break our hearts tomorrow hopefully not right but knock on wood here but I, this guy's doing a, he's doing a great job he's doing a great job on the trail he feels like he's one of ours already he's, yeah. he's on the trail and he's doing a great job and you hear about him recruiting all over the place he's doing awesome so, so the place i agree with you nick is that he's is that we all anticipate he's gonna be the starter so maybe from the standpoint of like, you know, more hype than, than Tebow. It's Tebow came in. I mean, obviously we saw a little bit of it, but it was that Tennessee game, the 21 to 20 win against Tennessee that sort of established that fourth down role where he's going to be mm-hmm. the battering ram for Tebow. And then obviously, I mean, I'm not even sure he threw the ball in that game. And then you got the LSU game a couple of weeks later with the jump pass and the and the fake run and then hits Murphy streaking. The LSU just decided not to cover him coming down going down the field for a touchdown. So it was a huge part of that win over LSU. You obviously they win the national championship, so the hype heading into year two was pretty big. I'll tell you, Dave, you 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 rolled off like you know all those defensive linemen. We just got done talking about how defensive line is like the heart of the defense and how that's why Florida struggled so much and all that stuff. I don't care. DJ Lagway and Jeremiah Smith are on, on campus. Those are the only <laughs> two players that I care about. It's like, I mean, because honestly, I, I, I one of the things that I look back on, so you, you, you mentioned it in the table of contents, was Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer's second year. So that last year in the magazine, we looked at their first year and said, what did they do? And what can that tell us about Napier? And now it's the second year. And what can that tell us about Napier? And if you look at that bump class with with Tebow, Spikes, and Harvin, those guys accounted for something like eleven All SEC seasons. 
in the time that they were there. And I think they only got like 14 or 15 all SEC seasons out of that particular recruiting class. So it was like those guys dominated the all SEC lists for the SEC the three years after they got there. And so that's what we're talking about here. If they could rope in a guy like Jeremiah Smith to go along with DJ Lagway and then maybe bring in a defensive guy, or maybe they've even got him, right, in, in Xavier Fulsami or yeah. Darius Hayes or Miles Graham. They've already got the guy in that 2024 class. You're putting together that level of elite talent that historically has turned into that sort of thing at Florida. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I will love it if they bring in high level defensive linemen. I will pay attention to it when they bring in all, you know, high level defensive linemen. But they could lose out on every defensive lineman if they, if Lagway commits and they end up with, uh, with Jeremiah Smith as well. Yeah, so on campus this week, as I said, David Stone, he's sixth uh, overall on 24-7, second edge or second defensive line uh, up there on, on three as well. LJ McCray on campus this weekend as well. As I said, Jordan Ross, I didn't put him on the list. Did uh, I just made just a couple of days ago just because it's kind of – that's what we're kind of going into right now is recruiting and these visits coming up. You'll get some surprise visits too, uh, and Ross coming on campus this week is kind of uh, a surprise coming out of there too. So, as I, as I mentioned, some a lot of targets there just coming up weekend – Hey, but also uh, good news here. Uh, Chris Jones, the linebacker, Steve Wilfong put in a crystal ball today for the Gators. So mm. um, big, big news there uh, for, for the Gators and, and, and a linebacker prospect. So hopefully uh, that's, look, that's a Florida Georgia battle. You're beating Georgia uh, for a linebacker right there with Chris Jones uh, from from uh, from Virginia. So big, big pickup if the Gators can pull that one off. I know he's bringing a slew of family with him this weekend uh, to check out Gainesville. So hopefully that's kind of one you don't let get away this weekend. You, you let him get that visit. You let him commit during the visit or maybe just a day after when he goes home and thinks about it just a bit more. But hopefully coming in this weekend or out of this weekend, uh, Chris Jones and that, that crystal ball pick comes to fruition uh, there for him. Uh, offensive lineman Ethan Calloway just in this weekend as well. Jamari Howard, Jonathan Eccles, Jaden Crawford. Uh, kind of round out some of the uh, the visitors for this weekend as well. So, all right, guys, while we're together, one more topic that's just hot and heavy this week, SEC meetings in Destin, SEC scheduling, a big topic, eight or nine games. It sounds like we're probably going to get eight for the 2024 season as they're kind of waiting on ESPN. They're kind of waiting on the college football playoff and how scheduling is going to be weighted uh, when it comes to the formula and what they're looking for in these 12 teams that are coming up. Uh, but hey, look, I mean, it can't go longer than one year. You're bringing in two more teams. You got to go nine conference games. It's just makes no sense. I know there's this one eight model, uh, or wait, yeah, one seven model that's out there, and maybe that can you keep one permanent and rotate the other seven, and it still gives you where you're playing every other team in the SEC every other year. Uh, but nah, yeah, you, you've got to keep as many rivalries alive, and you can look. We're losing college football piece by piece of what we grew up with and what we've watched for years and years and years. If you keep the SEC at eight conference games, you're going to be getting rid of a lot of games that mean a whole lot to people. Yeah, I, you don't go out and get Texas and Oklahoma to say, okay, well, we're going to keep it at eight. So this well, is well, Nick. I mean, you, you bring those two teams in. And all right, here's eight conference games. That means they're playing each other. That means Texas, Texas A&M aren't playing every year. That's insane. That's insane. And, and even you go back to the old Southwest Conference, Arkansas's guy. Yeah. Arkansas finally has their family back, guys. They, they're like they're no longer their cross. <laughs> their what was their cross division? It was South Carolina forever? And then yeah. they, and then they paired A and M. Did they pair A and M with South Carolina? 
Yes, A&M yes, South Carolina is probably yeah, I mean, what are we doing there? What are we doing? You have na- neighbors here. Big, you got the Missouri, you got Missouri, Arkansas. kind of like that nice little like corridor there out, out west that you actually have some neighbors out there now. So why not play those games? I'd like to see Arkansas. I know nobody here really cares about the Arkansas program, but you get Arkansas, Texas, Arkansas, A&M, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Those should be happening every year. What, do you, what are we doing? So getting to the nine-game schedule. Now that Missouri, uh, Missouri, gets their bre- Missouri gets their brethren back too. Yeah, I mean, They were the Big 12 for forever with Texas and Oklahoma. And then we can give up any pretense of caring about Missouri at all because <laughs> so we have to pretend to care a little bit because they're in the East right now. But we can just move on and be like, yeah, they're they're over there. So I I, I think it's a, a really a temporary issue yeah. because it, it, this is not like you said. It, they also might be posturing for t- TV deals too down the road too. So oh, we might want to stay at eight. Like like we'll throw a few more bucks on the table and go to nine. They're posturing. It's it's going to go to nine at some point. I'm not really worried about it all that much. Well, Will, just, they, Will, and one thing uh, that came out, if they do go one, seven, and 24, they're still going to try and formulate where the rivalry still exists in the other games. They're still trying to – they would still try to make that happen. So, yeah, you'll have Florida, Georgia, but you'll still also have Florida, Tennessee somehow or maybe even Florida, LSU somehow. Uh, but, I mean, if you think about it, if you look at it when they only keep one permanent – I mean, this is this is why they have to go nine. All right, Auburn and Alabama are going to play each other every year, so you're going to lose Georgia, Auburn, every year if you go one permanent. I mean, this this is why it make it, it, you have to do some the fans some service here uh, in go nine games. There's just no way. I don't care if ESPN is going to pay you or not. You got to go do it. You guys are so over the top. I mean, look, the gauntlet that Georgia has to run this year with the eight-game <laughs> schedule is so severe. I don't know how anyone could 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 possibly say that Kirby has to play a ninth SEC game. Like this season, the season that he has to play to get, you know, how could they have put it this far, like this much against him with Georgia going for a three-peat? You figured they would have at least given him one game to rest, but no, the SEC gauntlet that he's running for this eight-game schedule for this three-peat uh yeah they need a ninth game will sleeping on trent dilfer and the uab blazers man don't sleep on trent dilfer out there uh or that georgia tech inter 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 division rivalry game that they've got that's that's a barn burner these days with georgia tech and the acc speaking of asinine scheduling we're about to go (laughs) to texas oklahoma joining the conference before the team from athens even takes a trip to college station they've never played at Texas A&M, since Texas A&M joined the conference in 2012. Well, let's just keep it that way. Right? Let's have Georgia never play Texas A&M <laughs> from here on out. Like they, like permanent we talk about, we talk about permanent <laughs> opponents. But yes, permanent non-opponents. Just be like, and and you know, like so let's make sure Georgia never plays Vanderbilt. Right. And uh, like, how how can we set this up to our advantage? Hey, look, I mean, well, I, we're having fun here. It don't matter who you put on Georgia's schedule. They're going, you know, they're they're do, they're going to do what they're going to do. But still. It, it, it's still a point worth bringing up about. Look, and I'll give them some credit too. SEC made them take Oklahoma off of the schedule because of the merging with the SEC and you know getting rid of that game. But still, I mean, it's uh, two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll give you a break because the SEC took Oklahoma away. At the same time, your schedule stinks. I'll give you an example though. I'm the game I'm most disappointed about potentially losing. We didn't grow up. Our generation didn't grow up with the Florida Auburn rivalry, yeah. right? The previous, I love that, it. That was, yeah, yeah. That that kind of went out the window when uh, it, it expanded. But I I really love that Florida LSU game. 
that's probably been our most interesting rivalry over the last two decades is that Florida LSU game. And I like going out to Baton Rouge. I've been to, to that stadium before. Awesome experience. If we lose it on an annual basis, I'd like to at least get see us like playing them with some regularity. You know, not I mean, not not going like a three year be, stretch yeah, without playing uh, them. The way they're going to do it, you you'll you'll play every team every other year. So you know, we'll probably lose Tennessee maybe every year too, but at least we'll get them every other year. Well, what what we can be sure of is college football has never actually designed itself to be the most amenable to the fans, and somehow yeah. we still love it. It's like it's like they keep beating us, but we keep coming back for more because it's so much fun. And uh, I have I have no doubt that they will beat us yet again when it comes to the, when it comes to the schedule, and we'll come crawling back because the reality is is three months from now when that ball goes up against Utah, we won't care what yeah. happened to the schedule and what the schedule is in front of the team and all that sort of stuff. It'll just be if we beat Utah, we will be crowing to the boys up in Athens for a while. If we lose to Utah, we won't be on Twitter for a couple of days. Like, you know, that, there's <laughs> like that's just the way it is, right? Once the season starts, you kick it off and, and, and you go. And so um, they're going to do what they're going to do to maximize TV revenue and to ensure that they have the maximum number of teams in the playoff. Man. And my, I suspect that that will not necessarily correlate with the best viewing experience for sec fans maybe we'll add florida state and clemson just cut the schedule to six sec games you know that's about <laughs> the logic that applies there so that's, I, I think long term this is not an issue yeah they'll figure it out they'll go to nine at some point but does yeah they'll it may take a little bit of breather in 24 and you know figure some figure a weird schedule out for the 2024 season hey a, tw- a 24 schedule by the way for florida that Includes Miami and Central Florida, Central and now Florida. May, and now maybe Texas or Oklahoma. I mean, gonna be yeah. fun. Yeah, we gotta get it through twenty twenty three first, and <laughs> best way to get there is read and reaction preview magazine. Here we go. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Hey, ding! Is there like a bell that goes off when you do that? There, that, that was that that was that was awesome, Dave. Like you, you have a future in this business, sir. <laughs> Reading and reaction slash mag. That's where you can find it. Will Nick, anything else, guys? Um, I just appreciate everybody's support. Um, you know, like like Nick said, we're get, we're running up against the print limit. We 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 ordered more than we're pre ordered, and uh, and we're running out. So we appreciate everybody doing that. We got maybe like fifty left. So if you go over there and put in your orders now, you can get a hard copy. Um, if you don't want the hard copy, you can order a PDF version over there as well. We appreciate the support. Appreciate everybody. Um, reaching out to us, giving us feedback. And like I said, there will be some extras that'll pop up in the next week or so that people will be able to get on the website as well. If they, if they purchase, if they purchase either, either version of the, of the magazine. Yeah. We, and we'd love to hear what people think too. Afterward, yeah. like give us feedback. The reason we are doing a hard copy this year and we went through the trouble of figuring out how to do it is because a lot of people told us they want to, I'd like to hold a magazine. And you know what? Will and I said the same thing. What's a product. So we're trying to make the product better every single year. And we intend on, on making this a, a tradition here because we are getting enough support, but I'll tell you what, if we can get some good feedback from, from everybody who uh, gets a copy, we'd love to hear it. And uh, just reach, reach out. Uh, Will, what's your email? Throw your email out there. Will at readandreaction.com. Yeah. So will at readandreaction.com to give us some feedback and let us know what you want to see uh, in the future on that. And again, thank you for all the support. Really grateful everyone out there yeah go pick it up go pick it up go order it readreaction.com slash mag uh all right that'll do it uh for this episode of gators breakdown of course big visit this weekend 
this or big, big visit week this weekend. We'll get into it. Uh, I am going to close any Dave. We're going to close a couple this weekend. Uh, I say watch out for Jones. Uh, of course, when you bring that many family members, uh, I think it's, I think I heard up to ten family members. I mean, of course, I mean yeah. take advantage. I, look, I, if I could bring ten family members, I probably would as well. So you take advantage where you can. Uh, but I say Jones, watch out for him. I, I say when June's over with, I think Florida. You're probably looking for three to four. I'd say by the end of June, maybe mm-hmm. uh, to to look at that. You got a big three weeks coming up. Uh, you got to capitalize. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll set it plenty of times too. Um, we'll know we'll know where this class is trending. You know, by late July, uh, <laughs> or you know, so uh, you know. Hey, Friday Night Lights too has also been changed. It's the last weekend of June. It's not in July this year, uh, so that's been pushed up too. So, mm-hmm. so some change this year uh, for how Florida's doing some things. So big visit weekends, the next three weekends, and then Friday Night Lights uh, taking off of the Gators. So yeah, I'd say you know I, I'd be on the lookout for three, four. Three, four guys, and then uh, maybe one more haul before the uh, before uh, fall camp starts. Never a dull moment, Dave. Never a dull moment. No, I'm gonna be covering it all. Uh, I, I got two more days of work, and then I'm on vacation for uh, about a week and a half. So right. you're not allowed to go on vacation, Dave. <laughs> we, usually, we, usually get, we usually get good news when I'm on vacation. So, <laughs> I was gonna uh, say we a couple years ago we sent you on. Yeah. Uh, well, it was it was more than yeah, a couple years ago. It's been a while. Resort, or or yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe we can uh, put that on repeat again. But uh, I leave out of town Tuesday, so hopefully a commit happens between now and there. Because if it happens after Tuesday, you'll have to wait. So on, on, on my thoughts. So. There we go. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>